Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, July 26th of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week uh, to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. And this Sunday is July 31st. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Of course, for Charles Willard in Minnesota, it's 5.30 a.m. Our little teams working, be faithful to lectionary year C. That puts us in the Gospel of Luke on Sunday and the story of the rich man. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. And here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share encourage and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. Charles, it says here, Charles. So Charles Willard in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Where it's 63 degrees. (laughs) Bill Hall in St. Petersburg, where it's 80 degrees. And I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I have no idea what temperature it is outside, but it sure is good to be here. And speaking of the leadoff person, Bill Hall is on point today. So Bill's going to read the scripture and get us started. How you doing, Bill? I'm fine. Thank you. Good morning to team members and others. Uh, today we're looking, the gospel portion is from Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. Let me note, and I will refer back to this a little later, what I'm reading for us is recorded only in Luke. There are, in a sense, two portions to this passage, although they're connected. Um, But we are reading something that only Luke chose to record. Uh, I read from the New Revised Standard Version, the word of the Lord, let us attend. Thanks be to God. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then Jesus told a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. 
Now, I want to give a little background, so I invite you to bear with me because I think this is important for understanding uh, today's passage from chapter 12. There are in Luke's narratives a number of references to wealth and poverty. In her song of praise to God, Mary celebrated that God sends the rich away empty from chapter 1. In his sermon in Nazareth, quoting from Isaiah 61, Jesus declared that his mission was to bring good news to the poor, chapter 4. Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, but woe to you who are rich, from chapter 6. From chapter 7, Jesus asked the disciples of John the Baptist to report to John that in Jesus' ministry, the poor have good news brought to them. In chapter 16, in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, in death the rich man is received and welcomed into God's presence, but the rich man is in agony, expressing deep regret. And then in chapter 18, Jesus instructed the rich young ruler to sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and then noted how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Charles, I'm going to come to you first with question number one. In our time, who are the wealthy? Jesus is warning to be against all kinds of greed. I believe that Wealth and its issues are a universal reality. So, Charles, in our time, who are the wealthy? No one is likely to claim that they are wealthy uh, as a as a great as a great proclamation. In fact, uh, if you ask people at every stage of economic life, from those who whom we would describe as poor, to those whom we would describe as wealthy, and to those whom we would describe as having having great wealth. With great regularity, and there have been studies that have demonstrated this, with great regularity, no matter where you are on that list, no matter where you are on the range from what we would say is poor to the range of what we would say is extremely wealthy, Everyone considers that what they need is 15% more. Without, without, and it's, 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 it's incredible how consistent it is. Uh, so, no matter how quote wealthy unquote you are, you always consider that you have you lack uh, and you need 15% to catch up, uh, as well as when you have very little. What makes a great difference is 15%. So it's the 15% that, that counts, but the problem is that it counts the same thing for everybody at every place on the range. And so that, has, that, that doesn't really enable us to compare how well or how not so well each of us is doing in our own lives. Thank you, Charles. I think that does set this in context. Don. It sure does. Thank you, Charles. And I'm going to admit that uh, 15%, come on, I can do 20. I can do 50. 
If I'm going to go waste my time talking to myself about what I want, I'm not going. I'm not going to stop at 15. I'm going to pull that that average up to 50. How about how about the unicorn for the investor? 10x. I want to do unicorn thinking. So I I just want to put myself out there and go. All right, 15%. Yeah, I'll take 100% more. No problem. I can fantasize about that and put all my thinking into that. No problem. And I'm wondering, if we're looking at these texts at the top of the heading, it's the parable of the rich man, or the parable of the young rich man. And I think, Bill, to answer your question, it's the parable of rich thinking. It's more about that, how we're thinking. So I think, I think there's something here for everybody, and I'm just putting myself out there for that, too. So just a few simple thoughts about that. One is uh, Mark Davis's uh, translation. He says, watch and guard for all greediness. That's the way he uh, translates one passage here. And I think greediness can be seen. I think that's what, the, what Jesus is saying, especially with that Davis translation. Please know, you can see it. You can see it coming which also means you can guard against it. It can be pushed away. And it also suggests that greediness can be overlooked if we're not in the business of discerning how to address wealth of any kind or wealthy thinking. So that's why I said when Charles said, we all want 15%, I'm like, well, I want, I want 100%. I want 100% more. I can think about that all day. That's not healthy thinking. Matter of fact, I'm going to offer up another uh, heading in the Bible uh, it might be uh, the parable of talking to yourself. Because, Bill, when you read it, I, you were punching me, my, and I. And so I think it's the parable of rich thinking or the parable of talking to yourself, which he certainly does. Uh, so my second response is back to Davis. He does a – this is a quote on uh, how this really could apply to everybody. He says, quote, if the comment regarding greed in verse 15 in this parable are directly related to the request that Jesus arbitrate an inheritance dispute, the use of them, the word them, may indicate that the problem is not limited to the man and his brother, but is more systemic and general, which I think elaborates on what Charles was saying about the 15%. There's something here for everybody in terms of rich thinking. It's more systemic in general, I agree. The scripture is for everybody. And why are Jesus' followers presented with this parable? They're poor for the most part. We have a person that's inheriting wealth here, but for the most part, they're poor. I mean, Jesus makes it clear in Luke, we are not to judge each other. So we're not there to judge the wealthy. I think we're asked to examine our own heart. The, the listeners and the readers of today are meant to examine our own hearts. And my third response is uh, uh, eat, drink, and be glad. The business of life may not include the kind of rest, rest yourself that's in this passage. The gladness of self-possessions is, is really not the business of life that Jesus is intending. Uh, so the, the answer to who, Bill, are those who do not seek to or have the necessity to join with others for nourishment or shelter or safety. And looking at this man talking to himself, we may be dealing with an accepted ideal as well. He may not only have locked in security and the ability to rest and live a life of leisure, but he may have hit the mark in terms of what his culture and his family, and of course what him talking to himself, his culture believes, is actually successful. Those are my thoughts.
Thank you. Helpful observations, especially that self-conversation <laughs> image that you use. Sarah? I think each of us, um, in our time, who are the wealthy? I think we are all wealthy. We have the luxury of time, of interest, of concern. We don't have to work every minute of every day for the sustenance that we're going to put on the table. Um, so I think the indictment is, is on the, is, has, has we've been closed with it. Let me say it that way. I think we're each susceptible to the fear, uncertainty, and doubt that this world presents us with or that we're marketed to. Um, so we can imagine the catastrophes that are besetting us tomorrow or the next day. So we're hoarding in preparation for the hurricane, the power going out, the next economic crash. We are all kind of hedging our um, position and our privilege with the wealth that we've accumulated in an effort to stay or put off those things that are, uh, in our minds, looming. Um, so I think the, the fact that we each can feel that, we each can it, we each can go, golly jeepers, do I have enough? And I think that's a magic word, do I have enough, <clears throat> more than a, a particular bank account dollar sign. So the mentality of I don't have enough, or um, I see what my neighbor has, and I want that. Um, I want that for myself. I want that big house. I want that white picket fence. I want the two and a half children with a dog and a cat and, and a great neighborhood with great schools. And I want, you know, that success measure, whatever that is, that elusive, imaginary, um, sliding Likert scale unit of measure, so I think um, if we are strangers or only visitors to gratitude, we're definitely there. Um, we, if we can marvel at our own success and we fail to see how to help others or can justify not helping others, we're definitely there. If we are lax in fueling relationships with our creator and with our family and with our community, we might be there. Um, if, if we can leverage the appearance of a relationship to our own benefit, our own gain, we are definitely there. Um, can we, do we vacillate between self-aggrandizement and authentically seeking how to bring God's kingdom to others? We might be there. Um, do we value things and accumulation of things more than people, interaction, and relationship? Um, we might we might continually miss the chef-prepared meal and satisfy our own personal hunger with junk food. That's, that's the moment, I think, that we can arrive at, is we miss the blessings of God because we're so distracted by the Cheetos. And, and that would be, if I can acquire it, I get the Cheetos. If God would give it to me, it would be that, sh- that seven-course chef-prepared meal personally for me. And I think we continually choose the junk food instead of realizing the benefit of wealth, which is connection and relationship and community. So that's where I landed in that camp. Thank you, Sarah. Um, For me, the key is Jesus' warning against 
all kinds of greed. Um, I think, for example, of the analogy of the recovery movement symbolized by the well-known 12 steps. And the nature of an addiction is that it is relationship limiting and even harming. And it's not just chemical addictions. One can be addicted to wanting to accumulate power or prestige or to dominate a conversation. Uh, There are all kinds of greed. What I hear Jesus saying is, okay, in this story, it was wealth in terms of accumulating more and more grain for himself. Uh, But there are many kinds of greed. It would be very tempting, and I think appropriately, to point to the prosperity gospel advocates of today who say, in effect, if you love God well enough, you will be wealthy. I think that is a heresy and uh, is an example that we can point to. However, and echoing my colleagues, this is universal. We cannot let ourselves off the hook that easily. In the eyes of many in the world, we are wealthy. (laughs) My son, who is very much into technology and has had some powerful leadership roles in companies in that, occasionally we're on the phone talking about a technology problem, and he will often say, Dad, let's remember this is a first-world issue. We have the luxury of being frustrated (laughs) by technology. We are warm, well-fed, reasonably secure, Many, many people in the world do not have those privileges. Um, And uh, later in this chapter, Jesus says, from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. We are those to whom much has been given. Now, briefly, Jesus clearly warns about an addiction to wealth. It is not necessary, in my opinion and experience, it is not necessary that we demonize wealth, especially since the definition of wealth varies based on circumstances and current resources. As I said in our pre-recording conversation, as a pastor, I've had the experience a number of times of somebody very wealthy in the church who anonymously made the difference in whether or not a mission could occur in one case, building a habitat house and funding it. Uh, we, we would not have done it when we did had not an individual anonymously known only to me given. So wealth can be used to help build the kingdom of God. All right, question number two, and Sarah, I'm going to come to you first in just a moment. As followers of Jesus Christ, how does the temptation to build larger barns apply to us? Taking that as a metaphor, Sarah, how does it apply to us? Um, I think it's easy to slip into the stream of pursuing more. I think we hear the voice of reason screaming, but what if what if something happens? What if that catastrophe occurs? And it's easy for us to surrender to the anxiety of fabricated futures. 
um, we might instead keep our thoughts upon God's purposes and directions. Um, we can check our vanity and our pride at the door like a coat. And it's easy to find numerous logical justifications for pursuing accumulation, for giving credence to that fear and suspicion, for believing the imagined threats to my wealth, to my power, to my privilege, um, that the idea of earned can bring to the table. If I earned it, you must want it. And if you want it, then I might need to be guardful of you taking it. Whether it's land, whether it's a commodity like oil, or whether it's um, access to a port city, or whether it's access to um, an entree into a, a group of people that you just need introduction to. I think we all struggle with the how do I build a bigger barn, um, rather than understanding that the gift of of understanding or wealth or, or privilege or power can be used for God's purposes. So I think it is a question of intent and a question of <clears throat> your heart and finding the thing that um, that God wants you to do with that wealth, whether it's a, a, a wealth of intelligence, a wealth of time, a wealth of money or a wealth of hospitality. Thank you. Charles, how does the temptation to build larger barns apply to us? I don't have any comment to offer at this point. Okay. Don? I've been thinking about the actual tearing down and building that a lot of the commentators and uh, the studies I've been through in the last 20, 30 years haven't really spent time on it, and I, I, I'm wondering if that's the centerpiece. So Bill Wallach, who used to teach our lectionary class upon the Sea of Presbyterian Church that makes this podcast possible for generations, he uh, usually talked about the checkbook is an index of your heart, and I see people punching the heart we go through this uh, and to the point about addiction or the pathology of this because this man is talking to himself. He has one audience and it's himself. It's not a healthy situation. Bill said anxiety results in trusting something for life that does not give life. The act of generosity is an anecdote for the anxiety or fearfulness. It's an anecdote. So to your point, Bill, about the, the addiction and the unhealthiness of this, this is unhealthy thinking. And I just wanted to go to the tearing down of buildings. And I may be pushing this, but I, I, I'm wondering if Jesus is saying, uh, consider the buildings before, and they are full. And that is the, the worldview of this man. He tears them down and builds something much larger. How about 10x larger? How about 50x larger? With a whole new capacity. And the building, I would say, is his heart or his brain. Is it a healthy brain or an unhealthy brain? So this is a huge transformation that I think says we're able to not not only beware and guard against rich thinking, but we have the capacity to rebuild our own heart. You've got a heart that's going to have things stored up in it, 
It's not, it's not structured enough. We can tear it down and build something 100% bigger to store up more things for ourselves in this strange illness or pathology that needs a cure. So I'm, I'm really into this. Per, if this is representing this man's heart, he can rebuild himself. He can be so, his field of vision can be so messed up. It's like, well, not my personal capacity to store up great assets, great commodities can be changed. He's rebuilding himself, moving further and further within himself as he goes. I'm, I'm attracted to that thinking because I think this is a lot about the heart. Large barns may be intended to punch the idea of the excess by the individual. The existing storage may or may not be sufficient, but the new infrastructure isolates even further. So we all have our barns, since this is about all of us. And tomorrow I can wake up and build entirely new heart or brain for myself. Beware. Beware. Guard against that. I think the barns are about assets and commodities and resources that are useful to other people now. But I don't think the barn story is about mansions and castles. I think it's about the resources inside and the changing meaning of what's inside. Scale changes us. And my position is there are other parables about stuff and possessions, but the barns are not about the distractions like just hoarding stuff. The barns represent the brain and the heart. Those are my thoughts, Bill. I, I agree with you about uh, that, that imagery. Very helpful. Um, Larger barns. We are a numbers-obsessed society, <laughs> even in the church. Look at all the surveys and what percent of people uh, agree or disagree with something or whatever. Um, for example, for some time now, across the board, Christian communities, wherever they are, theologically or politically, are declining in numbers. And we, we hear a lot about that. And, and it's, that, that's real. What has concerned me is I have not sensed a comparable amount of energy going into what does this tell us? What does this tell us about the quality of worship? And, of course, the pandemic has been catastrophic and devastating. But I wonder if it is a reminder to the church of how important relationships are and that uh, though worshiping virtually is not ideal, it is still worship. And um, we, we need to be careful. Uh, you can turn that down, please. Uh, Charles, could you mute yourself, please? I'm working on that. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I think that's one. Never mind. Uh, Charles. I'm working you, on it. Okay, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anyway, I, I think, Don, that building bigger barns is a metaphor for a number of ways by which we want more and more and more, even if it's not money. That's why I think 
if we tell ourselves we're not financially wealthy, we're off the hook. And no, it's about all kinds of greed. And it goes back to where we began with Charles' comment about when is enough ever enough? And human nature is that there's never enough. All right, question three. And, Don, I'm going to come to you first in a moment. And I've slightly reworded this question for what I sent my team earlier. In verse 21 of this chapter, Jesus says, So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. To turn this statement around, what might it mean to be rich toward God? Don, rich toward God. Uh, I think this passage ends with a real declaration here because Jesus understands the people around him and grasps the concept of the allegiance to wealth. goes back to this is something here for everybody. And I think Jesus is doing it for us today as well. You can do this. <laughs> Jesus is saying, you can do this. And that's why it ends with this declaration. That you can under, if you think about it, if you're on guard, you can, you can consider wealth thinking and scale and riches uh, that even last for months and years and generations. You can do that. So Jesus says, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And I, I'd say this is, uh, to your point about rich towards God, I'd say, see all the responses to Bill's first questions <laughs> and all the weirdness and power for transformation in rich thinking and then flip them to the allegiance to God. So my example would be this enormous transformation of the heart and the estate. You could actually restructure and rebuild infrastructure to an even grander scale. Imagine that flipped the allegiance to God and generosity and the thinking that goes into generosity. An all-encompassing power of wealth creation actually doesn't go away. It just is recalibrated or refocused on community and generosity. I think, I think it then fits its rightful home and purpose. The rich man is talking to himself. It's this inner dialogue. Uh, you know, if, if, we're, if it was the time of Shakespeare, he would have the stage to himself and he would, he would have this monologue that we could all hear. And there's this internal judge and jury, and he's rating himself. And he is his, today we'd say he's his own customer. He is his own audience. How about this? He is his own God. Doesn't mean that the capacity to build wealth and riches can't be used for generosity, but right now he's caught with his inner fears and his anxiety, and it drives us, anybody, to rash, selfish, and isolating decisions. Uh, think about yourself or a friend who's been deep in thought due to risk risk assessment, anxiety, and you, you realize, and we've done, it done in my heart, I realize, thanks to friends that care about me, or you say to friends, you know, I think you need to talk about this with some other people. There's some friends you can talk to. Uh, do, or how about this? Do you have a counselor? You're talking to yourself. You're out of reality. And in this case, not only is this man so far out of reality, he has the capacity to build bigger barns or restructure his own heart. Are you talking to anybody? 
Consider the impact and power of these things in the parable and imagine that focus flipped to other people. So as Bill Wallace said, it is the cure. And uh, generosity is the anecdote, paraphrasing Bill. I mean, anxieties that drive people into building and sustaining and creating barns for wealth, I think, is a part of that. Those are my thoughts, Bill. Thank you, Don. Charles, what might it mean to be rich toward God? You're on mute, Charles. Yeah. Took me a minute to get off of mute. And, I, uh, what that's okay. Thoughts? You're doing great. I My thought was, as I looked at this, instead of thinking about all the ways that we can develop maps and charts and et cetera to this rich man and uh, to kind of insult him, why not take the other approach and say, how can we, how can we appeal to the generosity of this, this man? How can we build up the generosity of this man so that the, his, his, his creative work can actually go to some useful processes. That's that's that that would be a a better incentive for a congregation. That would be a better incentive for a uh, a clever pastor like the three of y'all, uh, including Sarah. I include you, uh, and, and, and so that so that instead of seeing how he could do it in a, in a in a in a in a commercialized way, how he, how he could do it in a more um, um, charitable way, how he could he could be how he could use his energy, he could use his possibilities to do it more so that instead of it being a a, 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 a conclusion in a in a parable. That has the rich young, the rich old geezer defeated in the end. He wins with everybody. Why not think about that as a possibility? Yeah, and Charles, hearing you say that reminds me. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, in his an Old Testament scholar of great note, in his writings and in his sermons, many of which I've read, consistently announces judgment. And hope for the supervisor. You know, what's the hope for the rich man? How might transformation occur for him? Thank you, Sarah. What is rich toward God? Rich toward God is examining what I have imbued or entrusted that does not give life. That I what have I given the power to give life? So if I start to examine this, the inanimate things or even the animated things that I have given the power to give life to, are they really things that do bring life? I have to ask that question. Um, you know, each of us has our own methods for dealing with the anxiety or dealing with the accumulation um, challenge. So 
I think I have to step back and go, I am only a steward. I, the things that I've been given, the gifts, the talent, the time, the energy, have been granted to me for purposes, for God's purposes. And I think that's the important thing to kind of sit on um, and, and to remember it's not about me building for me. It's about me using these gifts to bring life to other people. So I have to look at families and connection and relationship as the value, valuable elements. Um, accumulation for the sake of accumulation is unhealthy. It leads me to isolation. It leads me to um, kind of being um, more anxious because I'm under threat all the time of do I have enough. So um, it made me think about Charles Dickens. It made me think about Scrooge. It made me think about A Christmas Carol and the gifts of that story and the transformation that we're given or presented with in that story where we see Scrooge making this transition from having stuff is not living. Sharing stuff is what makes it worth living. So I think we have to examine our longing for and our striving for what others have as a type of greediness that pulls us away from others. When we sit, I'm remembering that little song that we were taught in Sunday school, um, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear. Um, The God up above is watching down with love, and if you are running from thing to thing that you see and want, you're not focusing on God's gifts. You're focusing on what's available to be bought in store. So maybe I need to challenge and disentangle myself from this notion of productivity. See, for me, it's it's, uh, how can I use this time? Time is the precious element. Um, Maybe I'm invited to hold space for non-productive pursuits that are not measured by hours worked or how clean the, it is, but how the family is sheltered by the home that I'm worried about keeping clean. Um, maybe I need to count the minutes I spend listening like I do dollars. I mean, that's really tricky, Wicket. Maybe I need to value gratitude more than productivity. Maybe I need to gather stories about God's graciousness instead of building to-do lists, because my to-do lists separate me from everybody around me. Maybe I um, need to ask, why am I more afraid of losing time and money than I am about losing people? So those are my thoughts about how do we become rich toward God. Well said, Sarah. Thank you. By the way, I meant to comment on question two. Your phrase, fabricated future, <laughs> captured my imagination. Uh, well said. Um, what might it mean to be rich toward God? This is another example in Scripture, which I think is the power of Scripture, that Jesus doesn't define what it means to be rich toward God, which means that we need to do exactly what we're doing explore and wonder. Now, I don't have the final answer, but a couple of thoughts came to me this week on this. Uh, Chapter 12, from which we are reading a portion a little later, 
uh, it tells us that crowds gathered by the thousands. Talk about numbers. <laughs> and Jesus says that nothing is covered that will not be uncovered. So in this parable of the rich man, Jesus is uncovering a, a truth, which is that God's abundance is is enough. And he advocates that people not be fearful. For example, the Holy Spirit will teach you what you ought to say. Um Clearly, Jesus wants to, our focus to be on serving God. And in our story, the questioner doesn't deal with serving God, but serving himself. Lord, tell my brother to divide and give me something. Uh, now, the uh, epistle lesson for this week is from Colossians 3. And I'm going to read just the, some selected phrases from this that I think are illustrations of being rich for God. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Um, Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. That's a quote. Greed is an idolatry. To me, uh, analogous to my reference to addiction. Um, these are ways that uh, Colossians goes on to say, get rid of anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language, do not lie to one another, clothe yourself with the new self, transformation, be renewed in knowledge according to the image of our creator, and there is in Christ no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, but Christ is all and in all. That's a part of richness in God is recognizing that the whole human family is loved by God. And to be rich is to decide against larger barns, however that may mean, and instead building and nurturing our relationship with God and with others. Love God, love neighbors. Now, I noted earlier in my opening comments that our passage for today is unique to Luke. The passage that immediately follows is left out of all three years of the lectionary. Next week, Sarah will guide us on a passage later in this passage that skips over what immediately follows today's passage. And I think that what's left out of the lectionary is a commentary on being rich in God. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor sleep. They have neither storehouse nor barn. (laughs) I don't think it's accidental that Jesus brings up the image of soaring and barn, yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to the span of your life? If you then are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? The lilies, they, they are clothed. Instead, seek God's kingdom, and these things will be, be given to you. Then... Therefore, it seems to me being rich in God is an invitation to trust God in each other, confident that there is enough already, 
And everyone will have enough if we are attuned to the spirit of Christ. Don, I'll hand it back to you. Thank you. Enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I This is one passage I wish we did a double. I think that would be great because there's other pathways we could take. But uh, three years from now, we'll be back <laughs> with the same passage. And the Palmasia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. Every week we commend that site to you for great sermons, prayers, outstanding music, opportunities to take communion. Uh, just a wonderful array of opportunities, so check that out. Sarah Mickelson will be on point next week. We're so glad that you're going to guide us with your leading questions as we go. Uh, And you're always welcome, folks, and we'll see you next time.